see if we can get the congestion down for a second. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're all thankful for that, that grace that you sh sh uh, show to each and every one of us, Father, because ultimately none of us are, are deserving of it, Father. We're all sinners, Father. We all have messed up in life, but Father, we're just all thankful that you, you offer us forgiveness, Father, that you, through what your Son was willing to, to endure on our behalf, Father, that we have the, the privilege of, of being able to, to be made right in your sight. And Lord, we just all, all can't wrap our minds around the extent of, of what grace is, but Father, we just are, are grateful that you, you do offer it to us. And Father, we ask you to be with us today, Lord, as we begin to look at what the, the first church had going on, Father, the, the qualities of the first church, what the, the, the first church had going on that, that made them so successful, because Lord, ultimately, that the first church that, that met there in Jerusalem, Lord, they they not only turned their, their town upside down, but, Father, that they, they set the world on its ear in a good way. And, Father, we just ask the Lord as we, as we look at these verses today and, Father, and over the next few weeks, Father, that you, you speak to our hearts. And, Father, and help us to, to look at our own lives. Father, help us to, to look at our own church. And, Father, and see if we, we have what the, the first church had. And, Father, and again, this being able to to see everything that they accomplished, and Father, and see why it was all possible. I'd be on the cross. We're proud things in Christ Jesus, Savior's name. Amen. You probably noticed by now I've taken down the, the offering and the building fund because my goal over the next few weeks is not to think about these numbers. I want to think about the numbers in Sunday school, think about the numbers in a one, I think about the numbers here, and think about the numbers that go down beside our scripture verses as we're, we're going through them. Going to church, part one. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn over to Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 42. Acts chapter 6, verses 32 through 42, and we'll be picking up in 43 next week, but for today, 36 through 42, I invite you to stand with me if you're able, honor reading of God's word. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and there was added that day about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. May God add blessing reading of his word and may be seated. <clears throat> The Louisiana Hayride was a radio show that started in the, the, the 1940s and continued on through the, through the 1960s. Lori remembers the beginning of it because she was in high school at that time. But it started out as a, a folk music radio show. But the, that one radio show in Louisiana was, was credited for making country western music what it was in the 60s, 70s, and, and 80s. The broadcast over the years fe uh, featured Elvis Presley, 
Hank Williams, Jr., George Jones, Slim Whitman, and yes, Johnny Cash. Caroline gave me the book for Christmas, Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, and it goes through his, his spiritual walk with the Lord from time he was a child at home up until the day that he, he breathed his last days, last breath. You know, it tells about his, his walk with Christ, you know, and, and how he drifted back and forth. It tells a lot about, about his days on the road. Johnny Cash, it, throughout most all of his career, never got over his problem with, with prescription medication. But he told the story that at the Louisiana Hayride backstage, there was plenty of beer, booze, and, and groupies. He said they were everywhere. And he says, according to the book there, that, that Johnny never participated in any of these things. But just having the, the, the sin there, just having the temptation always made him uncomfortable being around it. But he tells a story one day after the Louisiana Hayride broadcast that Johnny and his band, the, the Tennessee Two, was leaving Shreveport, Louisiana, where it was taped to, to head to Galveston, Texas, to where they had a show the next night. And as they drove west, Johnny started seeing cars turning into parking lots of churches all along the roadside. It was Sunday morning, and Johnny Cash said this, and I quote, This is why I feel so low this morning. I ought to be in church. End quote. But there wasn't time. His, he looks back years later at that one day in his life and he looks back and realizes that was the day that he put his career ahead of God. That was the day that he looked back and realized that there was something else in his life that was more important than worshiping God. There was something more important than his walk with God. Because ultimately, you know, when somebody really has a relationship with God, the closer he wants to be with God. When we have a, a, a Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, there is a desire there to worship. There is a desire there to be in God's house. There is a desire there to, to fellowship. There is a desire there to be a part of God's family. Matter of fact, that is a, an indicator of true faith. When we want to be a part of God's worship, when we want to be a part of his house, when we want to be a part of what's going on there, because ultimately the, the closer we are to God, the closer we want to be to his people. And on the flip side, you know, the, the further we are from God, the further we'll distance ourselves from his people. You know, ultimately, you know, if, if, if somebody is uncomfortable around Christians, uncomfortable around God's people, their problem isn't with other people, it's their heart with God. You know, if somebody doesn't like being around, doesn't like being in church, doesn't like being around brothers and sisters in Christ, and that issue is, is with God in their heart. And 1 John chapter 3, verse number 14 says, For we know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brethren. He who does not abide in love abides in death. Here John says here, you know, once we have passed from death into life. In other words, when we pass from being lost to being saved. When we are walking away from God to giving our hearts with Jesus Christ. He says, then we love to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Then we love spending time together with the church body. The other side of that verse there, you know, if we, if we don't love being around other Christians, John says, you know, not Eddie, John says that then we're spiritually dead. The church will matter if we're saved. 
Our relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ will matter if Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, if we've repented of our sins, if we turned our heart over to Him, then fellowship matters. Spending time with fellowship in each other will be a priority if we're saved. Again, John's words. Being an active part of the church will be a priority in our life if we've asked Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. The church should matter to us. It should be a top priority in our life. Is it in yours? Is the church a top priority in your life? That's what we're going to be seeing this week and in the next few weeks. We're going to be seeing what the first church was like. What they did, what they had going on, what, what, where their hearts were, they, what were their, their mind was set upon, and get back to the basics of what made that first church so successful. Because that thing, that thing was on, on the teeter-totter we're going to look at later on. Probably going to bring in Ananias and Sapphira. The things were, were at a make or break point, and either Christianity was getting ready to explode or Christianity was getting ready to be stomped out. But this very first church that God established in Jerusalem, as I said a moment ago, turned the world upside down. But what was it like? What was that church, that first church in Jerusalem, you know, what kind of qualities did it have? What did it have going for it? What were they doing right that we can imitate today? Because ultimately, everything in Scripture has been preserved for us to be able to learn from. God, over the years, has, has preserved it for us. Nations have, have tried to ban the Bible. People have tried to burn the Bible. But God says in 2 Timothy 3.16, 3, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. So in other words, God is saying, what I have preserved for you here is so that we can know what he expects of us, so we can know how to, to live our lives, so we can know how to conduct our church, so we can know where our priority should be. Paul says that all of Scripture tells us what God expects of us and corrects us when we need it. And it's been preserved for our blessings as these verses will cut to the quick. Scripture is described as being separated, being able to, to separate bone and marrow. You know, some scripture, like the, the 23rd Psalm, brings us comfort. Our man, you know, knowing that God walks through us through the valley of the shadow of death, knowing that, that he is there, knowing that he comforts us, knowing that he strengthens us. You know, that gives us that, that comfort, he gives us that strength, he gives us that assurance, and, uh, as it should. But these verses cut. But it also heals, if we allow it to. Paul says all scripture is good for correction, but also for training in righteousness. In our verses in the book of Acts, Jesus is already being crucified and, and resurrected. He's already paid the, the penalty for our sins, and after his resurrection, he spends the, the next 40 days appearing to, to believers. Anybody that has rejected him, anybody that didn't want a relationship with him for the, for the three years of his public ministry, they, they, their time is done. They don't get an opportunity to see him again. But for the next 40 days after his resurrection, he goes around, and he, he witnesses to believers, he assures his believers 
And then he, he, he goes back to heaven on the, the day of ascension there. And we see here in these verses that there were about 120 believers gathered together there that, that, that morning. And as they're gathered together, Peter says, look, everything that has happened has happened according to prophecy. Peter says that God has not made a mistake. Yes, our Jesus, our Savior, died. He walked out of the tomb on the third day. Yes, he has gone back to heaven. Yes, we, we, are, we are here now to continue on the ministry. But Peter says that all of this has happened to fulfill prophecy. And none of it happened by mistake. And as they're gathered there that, there that day, they're, they're celebrating Pentecost, which means that Jesus has gone back to heaven ten days earlier. And Pentecost was a, a celebration of the, the beginning of the wheat harvest. Pentecost is the Greek name for the, what we see in the, the Old Testament as being the, the festival of wheat, weeks or the festival of the harvest. And as these 120 believers are gathered together to celebrate Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Jesus had promised them that he would do so. Over in John chapter 14, verse number 16, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Here it is, the disciples are, are, are concerned. They know Jesus is leaving. They've depended upon him the last three years. They followed him for the last three years. Jesus can see the concern in their heart. They can see the worry that they've got there of, of what's going to happen to them, how, to, how are they going to carry on. And Jesus makes them the promise there and says, hey, hey, hold on. I'm going to send the comforter to you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit on you. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to see some miraculous things happen. So here in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has been sent upon believers and they are serving God with a passion. God has sent the Holy Spirit upon believers and they're going, they're going throughout Jerusalem and saying, hey man, let me tell you what Jesus Christ has done for me. Man, my life has, has never been the same. They're going in and out of the streets. They're going up and down the, the marketplaces. They're saying, you know, look, here it is, Scripture. It's, Isaiah talked about the coming of the Messiah. He has come. He, he has died for our sins. He has, he has paid for our sins. He offers us a relationship with Him. He offers us the opportunity to be made right in God's eyes. And they, they're excited. They're doing great things once the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They, are, they love the Lord. And those 120 are working together. They're serving together. They're going throughout the streets of Jerusalem. And by God, I hope it happens again here. This is the first church. And what I, again, what I want to see is what they did, how they did it. Because ultimately, you, you can read all kinds of, of books on, on church growth. There's thousands of them out there. You can attend seminars about, about the, how churches are, are supposed to, uh, to do and, and the best way to, to, to function. But ultimately, God preserves for us here what the first church did. And let's follow in their footsteps. Let's follow their example. First thing I want to look at this morning is they believed the right thing. They believed the right thing. Going to verses 36 through 38. Then we're going to skip to verse number 40 and 41. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And drop into verse number 40. 
And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and there was added that day about 3,000 souls. Luke records Peter's words there, and it starts out and says, you know, Therefore let all of the house of Israel know for certain. Peter, as he's talking to the group there, as it, we, we see that he doesn't give us all of the sermon, but as he's talking to the group there, Luke records that, that I want you to know, you know, as Peter says, this is not my opinion. This is not what I looked up in a, in a commentary. This is not something I heard in a seminary class. Peter says, what I'm getting ready to tell you isn't, isn't my makeup or my, my coming out of my mouth. This is the truth. He said, this is the gospel truth that I'm about to tell you. He said, I looked at those, those people there. I said, look, this is what you've got to believe. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. He said, you've got to believe that Jesus is Lord and the Christ. You've got to believe that he is Lord, which means that he is fully God. You cannot believe anything else. You cannot believe that he's 99.9% God. He is fully God. The fact that he is the Christ. Christ is the New Testament word for the Old Testament word Messiah. He said, you've got to believe that Jesus Christ is the one that came to pay for your sins. He's the one that, that came to make an atonement for your sins. He's the one that came to, to make you right in the Father's eyes. He says, church, you've got to believe that Jesus is God and he is the one that fulfilled prophecies and the only one that can save you from your sins. Peter said, you have got to believe this. This is not in question. This is not debatable. This is the basics. And we see there that the crowd heard this and said, well, Okay, now what do we do? We accept that, we believe that, we, we hear what you're saying, we believe you, now what do we do? He says there in verse number 38, he says, to repent of their sins. To repent of their sins means that they were, they were genuinely sorry of, of their sins. When we repent of our sins, we get to that point in our lives that the, the sin is, is eating at us, that there's a heaviness in our heart that is weighing us down, that it, it's churning our stomach, that we're genuinely broken over our sins. And know that it's wrong. And we turn. That's what repentance means. means that you're heading in one direction and you turn completely and go in the opposite direction. Peter says there that they had to agree with God's definition of what sin was. It didn't matter what society was saying. It didn't matter what anybody's opinion was. It didn't matter what somebody's feelings said. He said if, if scripture says it's sin, you've got to agree with God's definition of sin and turn from it. Verse 40 there, he says to tell them to be saved, that they have to believe that, that Jesus is God, that he is the Messiah, and that he rose again, paying the penalty for their sins. And they had to accept that. They had to repent of their sins and be saved. Then he said, if you believe this, <clears throat> if you're willing to accept Jesus Christ as, as Messiah, if you're willing to accept him as God, as you're willing to, to accept him as your sacrifice, and then if you're willing to, to repent of your sins, if you're willing to turn them over to God, willing to ask him to forgive you, it says then, verse number 38, to, to be baptized. You know, people often say, Eddie, I, I want to join the church. Or Eddie, I want to, 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 to get saved, but I don't want to get baptized. Peter's saying, yeah, well... If you genuinely want to be saved, then you'll want to be baptized. It, it, today, baptism is, is still the, the first step of obedience in our, our relationship with Jesus Christ. But as I mentioned several months ago, 
During this, during this time, it, it potentially cost them to be baptized. And during this day, they didn't, weren't baptized inside of a church. The first church wasn't even built to, to around 600 A.D. When they got baptized, they were in the Jordan River. They went down to the pond. They went down to the lake. And there, everybody saw them, the people that hated Christians, the people that were killing Christians, the people that were loyal to the Jews, the people that were loyal to, to Rome. They saw them, and they were taking their own life in their hands by being faithful and obedient to what Jesus Christ had, had told them to do. And Peter told them there that day, if you genuinely want Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, then baptism is the next step. And he says, and when you do, or if you do, God sends the Holy Spirit upon you. God sends that comforter to seal you until the day that Jesus Christ comes back for you. He comes upon you and enables you to be able to serve him, gives you the, the, the gifts to be able to serve him, just as they did that day as he came upon the early church. And Peter says, church, this is what you have to believe. This is the basics. There are some other things that can be added to it. But he said, this has got to be the foundation of what you believe. There cannot be any deviation in this here that Peter is telling the church, or telling the, the, the people that are going to be a part of this church. And ultimately, you know, I, I, don't, I don't care if you were raised in church or not. I don't care if you were raised in a different denomination or not. This is what we have to believe. That Jesus is God. He died for our sins. Rose on the third day. Offers each and every one of us forgiveness regardless of who we are, where we've been, or what we've done. He offers to erase all of that. If we'll simply ask for his forgiveness. And to be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. This was the foundational belief of the first church. And that hasn't changed. Second thing we'll look at this morning. They had going on that we're called to be a family. We're called to be a family. Verse number 39. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. God calls us to himself. He calls us all to be at the, the hem of his garment. He calls us all to, to be at his feet. He calls us all to the, to the base of the cross. He calls us together as one family to worship him. As I was reading through this verse, preparing this message, I began to think about you know, the way things used to be. You know, back in the day when all of the, the family was out on the farm, everybody, Joe was in this field working, Billy was in this field getting the cows in, and everybody was scattered off everywhere. Then about lunchtime, Mama or Grandma went out to that bell. You knew that was the call to come home. And that's what Peter is saying here. There is a call for each and every one of us to come to the table of Jesus Christ. He says, you, your children, and all those that are far off, he calls us all to, to come be a part of his family, to sit around the table, to be a part of his children, to be able to be called his sons and daughters. You, your children, all those that are far off, God calls us to be a part of his family. Over in John chapter 1, verse number 12. But as, ma as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe his name. Once we get saved, we're God's children, period. Once we get saved, once we repent of our sins, once we're baptized, once we ask Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, then we're a part of the body of Christ. Then we're a part of God's family. 
over in Romans chapter 12, verse number 5. So we who are many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function. Once we are saved, we make up the body of Christ. Another word for, for family there. You know, one body, one family, one communion, one church. Over the last several months, I've heard several comments that the contemporary service is the other church. That's a lie. The devil popped his head out of hell and told him. We're one church, one body, one family. There cannot be or seeing any division lines, creating anything. Because ultimately, uh, you know, generation after generation, decade after decade, there's been women on mission, there's been brotherhood, there's been youth, and nobody's ever seen that as division. Nobody ever has ever seen that as, as separation. For generation after generation, decade after decade, there's been, been multiple adult Sunday school classes, and those ages overlap greatly. But nobody's ever seen that as division. It's all about where you're comfortable. We are one body, one church, one family. Amen. Amen. One body, one church, one family. And that was, the that was one of the qualities that the early church had. They believed there was, they were one. Third thing I want to look at this morning is what they were devoted to. What they were devoted to, verse number 42. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayer. And to prayer, excuse me. Devotion means that something is important to you. If you are devoted to something, you're, you're sticking to something. If you're devoted to your marriage, you're sticking to your spouse. If you're a college student, you're devoted to, to graduating. What was the first, first church devoted to? We see they are, A, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Whenever God's word was being proclaimed, whenever God's word was being taught, it was a priority to them. They were there. They had to, they wanted God's word. They were hungry for God's word. They were going to be there if God's word was being taught. It was the most important thing to them. It was the deepest hunger that they had. If God's word was there, they were there. They had a hunger for God's word. What about you? Are you devoted to hearing God's word? It was an essential part of the first church. But too many people, you know, priorities out of whack. Anything and everything is, is more important than God's word. But it was important to the early church. B, we see that they were devoted to fellowship. In the early church, there was no we, them, us, they. They were the church, period. They enjoyed being together. We see multiple times that they, they gathered together in each other's homes. They enjoyed fellowshipping together. They enjoyed being together with, with, with brothers and sisters. Fellowship was an essential part of the first church. And ultimately, it's an essential part of any church. If fellowship is missing, missing a church will die. This is the reason that the first church was so developed, excuse me, so devoted to fellowship. It's a key part of a church. Are you fellowshipping with fellow church members? C, we see they were, they were devoted to breaking of bread. They were devoted to breaking of bread. And we notice something here different in the, in the uh, sentence structure. 
There's no and between fellowship and breaking of bread. You see there in that verse, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer. So the breaking of the bread and the fellowship are tied together. They are essentially connected to one another. The breaking of the bread is what they did when they fellowship, when they gathered together with brothers and sisters of Christ, when they got together in church. They were breaking the bread together. The Greek word there for breaking of bread, it can mean communion. It can mean Lord's Supper tables we, we celebrate once a quarter. But that breaking of bread there, it also can mean sharing in a meal together. Sit around the table. Pass me the gravy. Did you get an extra napkin? They were devoted to sitting around the table together. How important is breaking the bread together with fellow church members to you? Women on Mission did a great job last night. Great job in providing us with an opportunity to fellowship and sit around the table together as the body of Christ, as the family. Outreach Committee provides one every Sunday morning for breakfast. The opportunity to sit around the table together and to break bread and to fellowship. And that was one of the key parts of the, 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 the church there. It was the essential part of fellowship. Excuse me, it was the essential part of holding the church together was sitting down around the table together, eating together, talking together, and fellowshipping. Again, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. They were devoted to fellowship and breaking of the bread, and we should be too. Last thing we see here in these verses anyway, they were devoted to prayer. You know, prayer is the key element to any movement of God. Any great revival that you look back through, through church history in America, any great revival that has ever taken place in this nation can be traced back to prayer. Every great movement of God through the history of time can be traced back to prayer. I'm not asking about your personal prayer life. I'm not asking about, you know, when you lay down at night or your, your drive to work, there's your prayer time there. But is corporate prayer important to you? It's coming together with the body of Christ, praying together, uplifting the, the body of Christ to you, uplifting the needs to you, uplifting our brothers and sisters to you, 